scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts. Hear these words of scripture, beginning with chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now continuing with chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Our series, Change Makers. And it goes along with the Vacation Bible School theme for this year. At VBS, the kids will take an entire week and they will learn about biblical stories of people who experienced and brought about change in the world around them. And this is a lesson for all generations, not just children. We can make a difference in the world. That's a message we all need. Because many of us lament as we look to the world around us. We see all of the fear and the hatred and the anger and the abuse of each other in, and of the natural world. And we think, when will all of this end? But what we forget is that we are the ones we are waiting for. As followers of Jesus, we are called to ask the hard questions to work together to solve problems, to care for all people, to reach across our differences, and to imagine and to work towards a new world. By following Jesus' example and doing these things, we can be change makers in this world. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and joyful to you our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's scripture comes from the first chapters of the book of Acts. And Acts is a book that really ties together all of the other books of the New Testament. Sorry, didn't mean to startle everyone, including myself. <laughs> But the book of Acts tells the rest of the story that began in the Gospels. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus and the message of the kingdom of God that Jesus was proclaiming. But we know that things didn't end when Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection. 
Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. The message of Jesus, it continued throughout the lives of his followers as they carried the message into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, the story of the beginnings of the church. After Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers, they prayed together. They chose new leaders and they waited for the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised them to come. Then, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And Peter preached this amazing sermon, so powerful that thousands of people became followers of Jesus that day. A group of about 120 that started in that morning, there were 120 followers, and that transformed into this community of thousands in one day. But numerical growth wasn't the only way that this group changed. The coming of the Holy Spirit transformed the very lives of these earlier, those early followers of Jesus. Those 120 or so people, they had really grown close to one another. They lived as if they were one single family. And in the ancient world, living as a family, it meant working together and trusting each other and sharing a common purse, or we would call it bank account, which everyone got what they needed from that one purse. And that's the way that the disciples lived as they were traveling around with Jesus when he was alive. And so it was a natural thing to continue living this way as the first Christians. But then Pentecost comes. And thousands more people join the movement. And these first followers and first Christians were challenged to extend their generosity, to bring others into their way of life. So now they didn't just build relationships and eat with their intimate friends, but they ate with everyone. They ate with the powerful and the outcast, the accepted, the rejected alike. Everyone at the same table equally. And as a family, it says that in today's scripture that Marla read, they were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So just as important as it was to meet together in the temple courts and to praise God together, it was equally as important to eat together and to sell their property and their possessions in order to give to those in need. At the same time, selling extra property, it was extremely significant. It wasn't just a simple thing that they just one day decided to do. They intentionally chose to do this because this is the way that Jesus taught. And it was important because property wasn't just an economic asset for them. It wasn't just financial, but it was also part of their ancestral heritage. 
It was part of God's promised inheritance to them, for them, for their future generations. So giving their property, selling their property meant a lot. It meant that they saw that everyone in that community was part of their family. And it meant that they realized that their inheritance wasn't in the physical property anymore, but it was in something much, much greater. Something that could only be found in this community. Now this is probably one of the hardest scriptures to preach on. Because it's so unbelievably contrary to the way that we live. We are taught that we work hard and we earn our money and we have our things and other people, they do the same and they take care of them and we take care of us. But this scripture, it challenges us to break down those barriers, the barriers between us and them. And instead of seeing us and them, it's seeing us as we. Our Christian family extends much farther than it did in the days of Acts, though. It extends all around the world to different cultures and different continents. And yet, what would it look like to live into this scripture, to be a change maker in the same ways as those early Christians were? To be in community with Christians all around the world. Janet Kleckner, I want to invite Janet to head up here. She has been a member of Brexville United Methodist Church for over 35 years. And she has led many trips to the continent of Africa. And most recently, she traveled this spring. And I would like to invite Janet to come up, and she is going to share about this most recent trip and really give us a glimpse into how to live out this scripture in our lives. Thank you, Heidi. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, some of you have heard me talk before about my uh, trips to the Camphor United Methodist Mission Station, which is commonly known as Camphor Mission, which is in Liberia, a small country on the coast of West Africa. Uh, it's hard for me to stop once I get started talking about Camphor Mission, but I'm going to try to honor the, uh, the time constraints we have in our worship service this morning. Um, I first went to Camphor Mission in 2010, and um, that was, uh, that was the year that really changed my life. And I thought it was, when I went, I thought this will be a, a one-time, once-in-a-lifetime thing. But in fact, I have tried to go back every year since. I missed a year because of Ebola in West Africa. I missed two years because of the recent pandemic, but was able to go again this year. And next slide will show the team I went with. And, um, some of you uh, may remember our former bishop, John Hopkins, whose special program was what he called the three C's, churches, clinics, and classrooms. And Camphor Mission has actually four program areas, the church, the clinic, and we can advance, uh, the church. Uh, this 
and the clinic, that, this, let's pause there for a minute, that is actually not in the clinic. Uh, that is one of our team members who became ill while we were in Liberia this year. And uh, she spent a day and a night in the clinic that's on the Camphor campus. And the next day they ag agreed that she could come back to the guest house so that she could be surrounded by you know, the team. Uh, but she needed to still be on IV, so there was no place to hang an IV bag, so we stacked one chair on top of another, and you see the nurse, who's Solomon Harmon, standing there getting Kay hooked up to the IV, uh, and, and we were very, very glad that we had a clinic right there, uh, because uh, although, although Kay recovered and, and is fine now, her life was seriously in danger while we were there. She was so dehydrated and became so ill uh, that if we hadn't been able to give her that IV while we were there, we'd have had a very unhappy outcome. Um, and uh, of course we have the school and uh, this shows a typical classroom in the, in, the, in the elementary grades. These are the kinds of desks students have. There are bench desks that will hold three or four students, depending upon how crowded the classroom is. And finally, they have the agriculture program. Now, Camphor Mission has struggled financially uh, from, from day one, from the beginning of my, my knowledge of Camphor Mission. Even if the school had full enrollment, and even if every student paid the full amount of tuition they were expected to pay, which I will tell you now doesn't happen, but even if, that would not generate enough funds to pay the staff, to pay the teachers, to pay the administrators, to pay the groundskeepers, to pay the security people. It just falls far, far short. Um, they generated a budget uh, last year uh, that, that said, here's, here's what we need. Here, here's, here's the total amount of money we need for a year, and, and here's how we think we're going to get that money. And that, that budget included $42,000 of hoped-for Western donor money. That's a lot of money. And um, so pretty much anything we take to Camphor Mission would be joyfully accepted because they need pretty much anything. Nonetheless, before we went, we asked, what, what do you need? You know, what can, how can we focus our resources to meet what you identify as your highest priority needs. And they gave us a rather long list, wiring for the campus. They have a generator uh, that they can use to provide electricity for a couple of hours sometimes, not every day, but, but at least a few days a week. Uh, but the wiring throughout the campus had become so damaged they, they were not able to, to have power anywhere. So they, they wanted funding so they could get the wiring redone. Um, there were four or five wells, hand pump wells, on the campus, and, and they're all, you know, 10 or more years old, and for one reason or another, every single one of them had broken down and was non-functioning. That doesn't mean they didn't have water, because they still had surface water, which is what they used before they had the hand pump wells, but surface water is not as clean and safe as water that's pumped from the aquifer and hasn't been contaminated with everything that's on the surface. So they asked for money to repair the wells. They wanted another well that would be closer to the school, and uh, you know that's, uh, that's uh, kind of a big lift. 
They uh, hoped for some salary support because the staff had not been paid in more than seven months. Think about that for a minute. Think about what your life would be if you had no income for seven months and you still wanted to eat every day. That's a, an unfathomable, to me, hardship uh, to endure. Uh, they wanted textbooks, and when I say they want textbooks, they're not looking for textbooks that students are going to use. They're looking for one complete set of textbooks that will be held in the library and available for the teachers. The Liberian Ministry of Education establishes a curriculum that all schools are supposed to follow, and all schools are supposed to use a prescribed set of textbooks. And it's not easy to follow the prescribed curriculum if not even the teacher has the textbook. So they asked for one complete set of textbooks for teacher use. And then the prescribed curriculum includes from grade seven up, and at this school, this, the school on the mission only goes up to grade nine. So grade seven, eight, nine, there are certain books they're supposed to read, you know, like a novel that like, like American students read and then they have discussion about that. Well, if you don't have the books, it's hard to get the class to read. And they have, for those prescribed books, they have at least one copy on the mission that's in the library. For some of those books, they have maybe three copies and then they let the students share them in class and read together. But you know, think about a class of 15 or 25 students trying to read Shakespeare with three copies. That's not, not the best approach. Uh, so they were hoping for that. Uh, in addition, they have a vehicle. It's a Nissan Pathfinder, I believe, but they always refer to it as the Jeep. They asked us, could we fix the Jeep? And if we fix the Jeep, then the Jeep could be available to get us from the mission into town once we were out at the mission. So it would be sort of a win-win. We would have transportation. We wouldn't have to hire a private company to do that. And they would finally have a vehicle that works, which is an important thing for them, not just to make runs into the the nearby town to get supplies, although that's important too, but you know, this clinic they have um, is a modest clinic. And sometimes people are hurt or sick or delivering babies and need more medical care than the clinic can provide. And when that happens, they really want to be able to get that person from the clinic into town. And you know, by car, that's maybe a 25 minute drive in good weather, 45 minute drive during the rainy season because the roads are so much worse. Um, the alternative is the person stays at the clinic and has a less happy outcome or they will tie, have been there when they put people on a motorbike. You know, imagine being in labor and being in trouble and being put on the back of a motorbike and driven 30 or 45 minutes into town so they can get you to the hospital. So having that vehicle repaired was a, was a, a strong priority for them. And then lots of sort of individual things that people wanted. Shoes, computers, phones, internet access, and support for agriculture. The support for agriculture was really key because it's the one program they have that has the potential to generate more income. That, so it, and it can cover kind of 
at least two bases. It can provide food for the staff and students at the school, and it can generate income, which will help them, you know, chew away at that $42,000 deficit they have every year and start to earn some income. So um, in advance, we were able to provide money for, for this laundry list of things, textbooks, the literary works, the wiring of the campus, all the wells were repaired. Uh, we repaired the mission ve uh, vehicle and bought a printer and toner for the mission school and sent one month of salary. Um, because Camphor Mission was in such desperate straits, the bishop in Liberia had established a special task force to help save Camphor Mission. And that task force had been able to generate some money to pay one or two, I forget now, so I'll, I'll say one or two because I'm not sure, months of salary before we got there. And then the, the week before we arrived, we sent over the money so that people would get another month of salary be, before we showed up. Uh, so all, all of that was, was helpful and helped meet their needs. Um, and we collected uh, material from our congregations, all the six of us who were on the team, asked for contributions of uh, either a cash donation or shoes. Uh, actually, we didn't ask for clothing, but a woman in one of the congregations made a whole slew of, of uh, pillowcase dresses, and we were able to take those over. Phones and computers are in high demand, and uh, so we collected some of that from people in this congregation and, and other congregations, and we thank you all for the contributions you provided because, and I want you all to know, any of you who made those contributions, what you gave made a real difference in someone's life. And here's a picture that shows not all, but many of the students who received new shoes. And you know, the, the shoes kids are walking around in are like unbelievable. I, more than once, many, many, too many times to count, I would see a child walking and say, okay, let's, let's figure out what size ch this child wears because those things on the bottom of his feet cannot be called shoes. They're, I, I don't know what they are, but, but they're not, not workable shoes. Um, we, we were able to provide laptops to 10 people. This gentleman is, the, is one of the teachers and he's also the business manager for the mission. So he does a lot of work on his computer uh, that helps the mission, you know, the, the sort of accounting and bookkeeping, uh, uh, issuing uh, emails to potential or known sponsors, um, sending out, you know, just communicating with their Liberian annual conference and communicating with, uh, with uh, other people around the world. Um, we were able to uh, start a new, a new well. The funding specifically for the well was provided by a couple of very generous Methodists, and uh, I'm just going to run through the next few pictures. You see that this well is being dug by hand. There is no drilling equipment. It's just get in there, get in the hole. And if we, if we back up with just one, here you see they finally hit, that's good. Uh, here's the guy deeper in the well. And then they, at some point they put those poles across the top of the hole and drop a line down. And the guy at the bottom fills the bucket, they haul it up, and then they go dump it in the dirt pile. And they keep going until they hit water. And here you can see um, you know, water reflecting at the bottom of the well. Of course, you don't stop right away when you hit water because the well needs to be deeper than that. So they do have a submersible pump that, that, that Joshua, who is the, the well digger 
carries around on his head to the different sites that you know need a well and they run it on gasoline and they keep pumping the water out so they can he likes to go about 10 feet below where they hit the water level and then once they get the hole as deep as it needs to be they on site mix the concrete mix and sand and and they have these forms and uh, then they, I wish I had a picture to show you, they take those three of those poles and make a tripod and use rope and one at a time lower these concrete uh, tubes down into the well uh, to, you know, to, to line it so, and to keep it stable and usable. And then finally we get the finished product and there's the new well and in the background that yellow building is the school and if you, if you were standing in the position you are looking at the well and seeing the school in the background then off to your left would be the clinic and the poultry building. So this was a real plus for the people who are running the poultry program because you know, the chickens have to be watered every day and it's a lot of hauling. Um, uh, so they were very glad to have that. Now, um, agriculture is the future. As I said, it's the one program that they think has potential to generate income. They asked while we were there if we could help them get a thousand palm trees planted. We were able to leave funds for 500 palm trees and the, they sent this picture after we departed. They ordered the palm trees, here they are being delivered and they have all since been planted. Um, before we arrived, they had acquired 300 chickens and they, you know, the plan is the, they're gonna raise these chickens to maturity. The chickens are gonna lay eggs. They're gonna sell the eggs. When they stop laying, then they're gonna sell the chickens and the proceeds uh, will fund the next round of chicken raising. And of course, when you order 300 chickens, you don't get all hens, you get what they call some brothers in there. And so the brothers would be sold earlier because they're not laying eggs. And so that generates a little bit of money right off the bat to help uh, feed. But while we were there, they, they were running out of feed for the chickens. And so they asked the team if we could provide funding for chicken feed, which we were able to do um, in large part because we had some extra funding that members of this and other congregations had contributed that was not specifically accounted, for, you know, budgeted for a specific need, but let's go and see what's needed and, and we were very glad to have that. Twice while we were there and once since we have left, they have requested help feeding, uh, feeding the chickens and keeping that program going. So, um, as I said earlier, we could take just about anything to Camp for Mission and it would be joyfully accepted because, it is, because they need everything. But the people of Camp for Mission, I don't know if you can read this, but the kids are all holding little slates and they, it, their message is, thank you, God bless you. And, and that comes from the bottom of all of their hearts. And uh, I thank you for the chance to, uh, to speak to you this morning. I did make what I call Liberian donuts and they're in the parlor for, uh, for after hour, but if we could go back to that previous slide. Um, I, I don't wanna skip over that. Next one. Next year, we are planning a slightly different event. July 20 to August 5 is the tentative dates. Um, and I'm asking you the question, is it your turn to go? And I'll echo what Marla said in the prayer earlier. Uh, 
May, may God give us the courage to share ourselves and our possessions with others in need. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. Um, traveling to Africa, I'm really, I've been talking to Janet and I really wanna go next year. I have to figure out how to exactly do that, but I really wanna go. <laughs> but traveling to Africa, doing these big things of selling our possessions and giving to those in need, these things seem huge. They seem overwhelming and insurmountable, but we know that they start with one little step. It's the steps of, like, Jordan had shoes that he tried on, and because he's 13, they were too small. After I ordered the right size, by the time that right size got to my door, they were too small. And so we gave those to Janet to, to take. Little things like that make a big difference. And they're those little small steps of seeing how we can be with others, responding to their needs, caring for the people around us, getting off our donkeys. Do we remember that? How we can take these steps to be change makers in the world. And yet, even in the book of Acts, we see that it's not easy. The next chapter, chapter 5 in Acts, we see this heartbreaking story of the people who remained afraid to share, afraid to fully offer themselves to the community. And it shows that change is hard. Sacrifice is hard. Figuring out how to, to care for others and making these necessary sacrifices, it can be scary. And yet... We know that moving beyond our own hesitancy, our own fear, and trusting in God, and even trusting in each other as a community of faith, with every single part of our lives, even our possessions, that is how we become change makers in the world. It says, at chapter 2, verse 47, of Acts. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I have to believe that it is because of the way that people around them saw the, their faith of those earliest Christians, saw their faith in action, not just talking, not just grouping together and meeting together, but caring for one another, pouring out their hearts and their minds for each other. And so that then they could all be change makers for Jesus. And that's what we remember when we come to this table. We come to this table and we recognize that it's not this big. This is not the ends of the table, right? The end, you guys are just looking at me. You know this. We've talked about this. This is not the ends of the table. This table extends all around the world. And so when we come and we receive this bread and this juice, we know that it's much more than simple, a simple piece of, of pita or bread and a simple cup of grape juice. But it is a reminder that the Spirit, that God is with us in the world, empowering us with the grace and the strength of God to go and to do God's good work. That's what this table is. 
And that's why we celebrate Holy Communion each Sunday in the service, to remember, to empower ourselves to go and do God's good work, that we don't do it by ourselves, but we do it with one another and with God. Oh God, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Oh God, by your Spirit, make us one with Christ. Make us one with each other, and one ministry to all of the world until Christ comes in final victory and we get to feast at his heavenly banquet. Oh God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Now let us receive that grace into ourselves so that we might go and do God's good work in the world. I invite the welcome team, they will guide you forward, and I invite the communion stewards to come and let us celebrate together at this table, extending and thinking of our siblings across the world.
theologian Philip Rosado said the real presence of Christ, which is hidden in the bread and the wine, is visibly manifested in his, Jesus's social presence in the poor who are the sign and the image of his ongoing passion in the world. Oh God, as we come to your table and receive the hope, the joy, the peace, the comfort, the challenge, everything that is wrapped in this gift, oh God, may we see those same things in your people, in our siblings all around the world. Oh God, may we go into the world in the strength of your spirit, giving ourselves for others in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. I invite you to please stand as we sing our closing song together. The last thing we do each Sunday is to remind ourselves that church does not end when the worship is over, but the message goes with us into our daily lives. And so here are some ways that you can engage with BUMC throughout the coming weeks. The first is tonight. We have one more spot at the Brexville, uh, Broadview Heights Home Days to go and to spend from seven to nine just saying hi to people and inviting them to take a picture. Like, that's all you got to do. It's not hard. So you don't have anything to do from 7 to 9 tonight. You are invited. You can talk to Marla. You can talk to myself. Marla is um, the co-chair of our, our Missions and Community Engagements Committee. So it just, it was like a God thing that you were here today for, uh, anyway. Um, so you're encouraged to do that. It's tonight, 7 to 9. And then on Tuesday, we have our next church council meeting at 7 o'clock. That's in the parlor as well as on Zoom. And church council is a quarterly meeting that we have with the leaders of our church. And everyone is invited to come to be part of the conversation and to learn what's going on and to be part of the decision making of moving forward as a church community. And then on Friday, we have Worship in the Woods, and this is um, this coming Friday evening at 7 o'clock on July 14th, and you meet at Meadows Picnic Area, and then we go on an easy, a low-impact hike, and then have a short worship service together, and then hike back and have s'mores, because s'mores are good. 
And then finally, we have, we invite you to opt in for texts. Our text messaging provider needs your express permission for us to send you texts. So it's a way that helps all of us, guard us from all of those annoying texts that we get from random people, right? Um, but we want to be able to, to send you notifications and encouragement, and so you can opt in on um, the BUMC links, and or you can just call in to the church and they can help you figure out how to do that, but you can opt in for that and be part of all of the goings-on here at BUMC. Um, go check out BUMClinks.com or call the church office. You can talk to myself um, to, and or any one of our wonderful staff people to just learn about our church community and to see how we can go and be the hands and feet. Let us receive the benediction so we can do the good work of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Go in peace and not in pieces. Amen. Thank you.